Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Now arriving on Cultaholic Island, he is the 2023 Battle of Los Angeles winner. He's a former Impact X Division champion, but to the good people of Twitch, he's Uncle Speedy. It's Speedball Mike Bailey. Mike, how you doing? Tom, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here on your your island. We welcome Uh, you on the island, sir. I know we'll cover what happens on the island, but how much do you cover how we got to the island? Well, uh, I don't normally let people in on the the secret helicopter that goes underwater that brings us to the island. Sounds very dangerous. (laughs) I, I honestly regret getting in your underwater helicopter, but I'm glad we at least ended up on a... Desert Island with some chance of being rescued. The, the, the helicopter will be waiting to take you back at the end, I promise. Oh, very, very good. A lot, lot to think about, but yeah. It's, 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 this started well. This started strong. On a slight t- a curve to get things underway, uh, how different is it wrestling as Deku from My Hero Academia uh, as a, compared to wrestling as Speedball Mike Bailey? So this is what I've, I was not the biggest... My Hero Academia fan, when I started doing the character, I kind of pitched it and I was like, oh, I kind of know what this is, right? This should be fine. And then I did more research and the more research I did, the more I found out like that there was, other than like catchphrases and the things he says, there is no difference in the fighting style of, between Deku and Speedball Mike Bailey. Like it's just kicks and punches and I can still do all my regular moves, and they pick like they fit perfectly within Deku's wheelhouse. It's just I got to make sure to say plus ultra uh, a couple times. And so, th- but also this is the biggest difference. What major difference? If you will notice and you pay attention, uh, which is also something I can go down a, uh, a tangent on for probably hours as I have done before. But punches in professional wrestling where people make such a big deal about who had the greatest punches and how to practice your punches. And I just don't like punches in professional wrestling. I I recommend people don't do them to other professional wrestlers. Uh, I I speedball Mike Bailey has not thrown a a punch in a wrestling match in uh, many, 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 many years. There are lots of chops, lots of uh, elbow smashes, but never a punch. And Deku's whole big thing is a punch. Do you think that it might be a case of Speedball Mike Bailey hasn't thrown a punch for a long time, but the one day in a match where you are resigned to throw a punch, it's, it turns out to be the most devastating punch in the history of wrestling kind. 
So the problem with that is the uh, the Terry Funk dilemma, which, okay. by the way, happy birthday. His birthday happened a few few days ago. Uh, but where people like when I say I don't like wrestling punches, people go, oh, what about Terry Funk? Terry Funk had a great punch. And there's a very famous story of Mick Foley talking about how Terry Funk had the best punch he'd ever seen and wanting to Terry Funk to teach him how to do it. And turns out Terry Terry Funk just punches people in the face. <laughs> That's the secret from the book, isn't it? He just That's like, oh, the secret. I just so punch like, people. Yeah, I, I I've boxed. I've done some boxing. I, I if I wanted to punch someone in the face really hard, I could, but then it wouldn't really be professional wrestling. I don't know how I'd make that work. <laughs> It'd just be aggressive. I think it's just, yeah, maybe we we park that just in case it does become the most dangerous move of all time and the wrestling world's not ready for that jelly just yet. It's people, Mike Bailey. What they are ready for, though, uh, is for you to spend some time with us on the desert island and choose three wrestling matches to watch whilst you are here. We're going to go through them match by match as we chat today, but what would you like your first one to be, Mike? Okay, so the first one is... Uh, just to situate you time-wise in my my wrestling career, and I say wrestling career as if it had started when I was seven years old, which is the moment I decided I was going to be a professional wrestler. But this is me around 12 years old, sort of starting to find other things than what was on TV and seeing this match from 1982, which is like, which my my reaction was like, wow, if this was happening in 1982, why do we have what we have on TV now? And it is uh, Dynamite Kid versus Tiger Mask, oh. specifically the one from Madison Square Garden, which is uh, iconic for so many reasons. And I think Tiger Mask is responsible for creating and pioneering the hybrid style of martial arts and pro wrestling with uh, high flying and fighting and still having exciting matches that is extremely popular today. So how much of an, obviously you say it's inspired a lot, inspired wrestling today. How great an influence was, which, which of the two was the greater influence on you in that early stage? Was it Tom Billington or was it Tiger Mask? Uh, it was, so wrestling wise, it was Tiger Mask. But in terms of like character and and personality, it was really Tom Billington, who is revered by the wrestling world to be an excellent. No, that's not true. That's completely untrue. Uh, allegedly, very bad person, Tom Billington. But great wrestler. But no, Tiger Mask definitely stands out for me in this one. Uh, is there a moment from that match that, in particular, gives you gives you the goosebumps on the arm, Mike? The one. Uh... It's a specific move that is thrown by Tiger Mask, which is a, a counter back kick, a jumping, spinning back kick. Because when I saw this match, I had started Taekwondo and was like specifically learning that particular kick and working on it. And, you know, given the, the style of Taekwondo at the time, that one was a very like iconic to the style. And so seeing that done in a professional wrestling match, exactly as I'd been learning it, was kind of a big revelation for me. Was Taekwondo something that you were learning adjacent to learning to wrestle, or was this a different thing that you were doing before wrestling came along? So uh, before I, it, I started doing Taekwondo way before I officially started taking professional wrestling classes, though I had been wrestling at home 
with my brother and friends for the longest time. And and I didn't like intend to start martial arts from a young age or really ever until I had a friend that was like, hey, I'm doing Taekwondo and it's pretty cool. You want to come? And me being like, hmm, yeah, sure. And then enjoying it and thinking, when I do start pro wrestling one day, this is going to be very useful. Right. And, and there's many that have come through and adapted certain elements of martial arts into what they do as wrestling. And you've very much done that as well. Uh, the name Speedball Mike Bailey, we know it came from uh, uh, Montreal wrestling reporter Michael Ryan, who said you move like a speedball, like the old boxing punching thing. Well, you say we know that, you know that, because well, you've that... heard it on other interviews, because people still ask me. But now, all the but time. now we've said it together. Now we, have. we all know that. Correct. But I'm keen to know if there were other names, because I know you said that the reason, one of the reasons you like that name is because someone else came up with it and not you. Like, you know, the name was given to you rather than one that came up with yourself. But in the, in the world of creating a wrestling character, like, did you have names in mind that you were reticent to use? Was there sort of names for your, your, your persona on the cutting room floor that we never saw? So no, I really didn't. Uh, which is, which is interesting. Like, uh, me bringing this up as my, my, you know, my first match, I think says a lot because the thing that got me into wrestling, the thing that I saw and was like, oh, this is, this seems fun. I like pro wrestling now was Kane trying to set the brood on fire. <laughs> and if you know what, what WF at the time was, it was entirely character based, uh, professional wrestling like there was nothing you know it, the the athleticism and the actual quality of the matches was left to the side by cars being uh thrown off of thrown into compactors or uh i don't know i feel like they did that every single episode of raw for like a few years but the that part of wrestling never really interested me like i remember disliking the rock because his his promos uh, for me as a child were like Kind of cringe, which they are. Uh, I don't remember who he told to suck on a monkey's nipples, but that is the most cringe thing. But like, I get it. He was, he was like, the audience absolutely loved it. Uh, but I much preferred all the, the wrestlers that had a much more action-packed style at the time. And so I was never focused on names and characters. And that was always kind of just a side note compared to what you did in the ring, even even to me as a, you know, 12 13 years old when i when i watched wrestling so you must have, it must have been like whilst you know you say you fell in love with the characters and stuff but it was some of the characters at least i know kane setting the brood on fire was one of those moments that you spoke about but because there was a real it must have been difficult because there was a real drought of like excellent wrestling around that period as you say it was sort of more it was put to the side in favor of sports entertainment and action scenes and car crash television who were some of the great wrestlers that stood out to you at that point while everybody else was fawning over the rock who was who were your guys yeah uh the hardy boys they were having some of the coolest matches on uh wf television at the time i remember liking x-pac a lot uh the when I came across the WCW cruiserweight, so I didn't get like I kind of occasionally stumbled upon WCW and and loved the cruiserweights. Oh, thank you so much. Oh. Yes, thank you. Mike Bailey's been bought a brew. I've been brought Bailey's a coffee. Been... Very nice. Uh, but again, my my perception of professional wrestling changed a lot when I was able to get my hands on wrestling that that wasn't on TV 
which, you know, started with me going back and watching a lot of like old, specifically Japanese stuff or Japanese influence stuff like this uh, Dynamite Kid and Tiger Mask. But then moving on to like by by 2004, five, when I when I understood how torrents worked, <laughs> I was able to get my hands on a bunch of like Ring of Honor and Dragon Gate, which is almost exclusively all I watch in that period. That must have been like opening a third eye, like to to suddenly see like this whole world of 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 the wrestling that you want to see just opened in front of you. That that first time you 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 clicked on that torrent, which you didn't do, and because you know none of us did that, we didn't do any of it. But when you did, it must have blown your mind. It, it absolutely like. It was a gradual entry into me kind of stumbling on of it. And, and I'm sure you're of the age where you remember what it's like to find wrestling and not have access to it, not have an easy old streaming website like Fight or not be able to do something as simple as go on Impact's YouTube channel and see all the awesome content they provide for free or sign up to YouTube uh, to Impact Ultimate Insiders for a very, very low price and then see all the awesome action there. No, you had to actually go find wrestling. Like tape trading was a big part of it, uh, which is which is just an, like to people who started watching wrestling within this, you know, this, this millennium sounds kind of ridiculous where you would just like somehow have to get professional wrestling from like onto VHSs and then just trade those out with your they friends. They don't know it's they insane. were born, Mike. That's the thing. Cause I used to, I used to buy a lot of my wrestling. Once I rediscovered wrestling in sort of 1999, I was buying them on VHS tapes from Amazon and from eBay. And like, if you got, you know, you get SummerSlam 1996, you get in your house full and you just watch it to death because that was the only one that you had. Whereas now like we're, our minds is, we're spoiled for choice because we've got everything all the time. And, you know, no one, you, you have a greater appreciation, I think, if you went through the era where it was limited to now when you've got everything. You have a greater appreciation for it, don't you? Absolutely. Of, like, finding the matches. And there's really, there is a little bit, uh, it, we saw it when, uh, I think, I want to say, like, a couple of years ago during the pandemic was everyone was real bored. And we decided collectively, the, the wrestling world that we would try our best to find Tom McGee matches. <laughs> and we found like one or two and everyone was like, wow, this is the best thing. But that was all of wrestling for a very, very long time where you had to find those matches and they were like hidden gems. It was a special joy during lockdown when we did stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> it was, it, you know, you know, nights were long and dull. We had to do something. Now, away from wrestling, you nearly, you, you mentioned that you nearly ended up working as a stuntman. And I'm curious to know what stopped you going all the way down that path. Uh, I didn't. So, uh, it just didn't. It's kind of a the the the. I'm sorry. I have a very disappointing story with that. It's, it's not like it, I kind of. <laughs> no I, story I got, is disappointing. Right. So I worked on a movie called Le Ring, which just means the ring, which is a movie about. Poverty in Quebec, right? Uh, but also had some some wrestling scenes, and I I did like I did part of a match in the movie. It was great. I wrestled uh, Jason Jason Voorhees, who was it, it was not like a gimmick they gave him for the movie. It was a guy who wrestled as Jason Voorhees, and just had me and him do a match, do like a fifteen minute match, and they had us do it like a hundred times, and then they only took one thirty second clip. But I I spoke to the stunt coordinator there, and he gave me some info and some people to call, and I called them. 
and uh, they were like, uh, let me get back to you uh, with, with all the info you need to sign up. And being 16 years old at the time, I like didn't call back. <laughs> You just, I think I think if it was something that you really wanted, then you would have done like, you know, you've to, to look at what you've done, you know, against a lot of odds and expectations with wrestling. If you want something, if the heart wants something, then the heart gets it. And obviously stunt work wasn't something that your heart really wanted by the sounds of it. No, I think I was just a dumb teenager. Oh, there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're no, I, but I didn't. I just didn't have the business acumen to kind of pursue it like I should have. You know what I mean? Like I didn't know. If someone says they'll call you back and they don't, you just have to call it back yourself, which is a lesson that I learned, you know, from wrestling a bit a bit later in life, but just hadn't learned then. <laughs> it's a good lesson to learn. The lessons that we're learning as well are the lessons about matches to take on a desert island with you. Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid was your first one. Mike, what would you like your second one to be? So I'm going to bring it back to what I was talking about with that uh, period, which is... 2006, which was to me like peak Dragon Gate and Ring of Honor. And on Supercard of Honor, of Honor in 2006, there was a uh, Doofixer versus Blood Generation six-man tag match. Uh, Dragon Kid, uh, Genki Horiguchi, Saitorio, and Shima Yoshino, and Doi. Uh, and they had an absolutely mind-blowing six-man tag. They got like five stars in the Observer, though I found that much later because I had no idea what the Observer was back then. But it was really the... Uh, like understanding that much later, it was the archetypal Dragon Gate match. Like it was all their best hits put together in a card that wasn't Dragon Gate. The rest of it was Ring of Honor, so the style was different, so they stood out even more than they normally did within that match. And again, it was just mind-blowing, non-stop action. And even every time I re-watch it now, I am reminded of how great it is. Was, was this one, you said that it was in 2006, was this a tape trade affair that you got to see this for the first time? No, this was this was a torrent, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure it went on the old... Uh, Pro wrestling pwts.com cheap do they still exist see I... now i don't need to do torrents anymore i've uh <laughs> I, I think the statute of limitations on me downloading stuff illegally has long <laughs> passed or at least i hope if you're uh if a police officer is listening to this just please don't <laughs> like if you're listening to this and you like you listen to podcasts like this one you probably understand and did it yourself not that, not that that's ever stopped a uh, a cop, but if you, I, if, I hope no cops are listening to your. Well, podcast, if you're listening right? to this and you and and you're not a cop, we're talking to Mike Bailey. If you're listening to this and you are a cop, we're talking to Josh Alexander. So right. <laughs> that gets you out of stock. I think I think that gets you out of stock. I think we're fine. I think we're fine. That Dragon Gate style is fantastic, though. It is it is very much you as well. When you you know you know it's the there's no other better way to describe the style that you do. It's it so leans into that, and it's just that high octane style. And like you say, it's almost like they they played it so well because it was a Ring of Honor show, but it was a bluffer's guide to Dragon Gate in one match. Yes. Absolutely. But here's exactly what it needs to be. Um, when it comes to wrestling in Japan, I I, I love this because you 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 are, you really pushed through during some quite tough diff tough times, getting essentially landlocked in Canada for the longest of times, not being able to travel to the states. And you are amazing. You were amazingly able to pivot your career and do incredible things. Now, one of the offers that came to you uh, was from DDT and somebody at DDT who wanted you to burn your passport and just come and live in Japan. Um, 
you said no, obviously, but was there a consideration that you would do that? Any point? Yes, there there absolutely was. I, I wanted to. Like, it was not for, you know, it, it was the wiser decision, ultimately, to not just stay in Japan, especially given how things worked out. But my goal, you know, for those five years where I wouldn't be wrestling to able to wrestle in the U.S. and would have to kind of look forward to, you know, coming back to the U.S. was just building up my name. And that meant to me staying relevant internationally and making as many connections, which I don't think I would have been able to in Japan. However, I absolutely love Japan. And I love DDT Pro Wrestling, and it's easily one of the best places to learn wrestling, one of the best places to learn in the world. And just Japan as a country, the lifestyle there is extremely enjoyable. And I mean, I can certainly still see myself living in Japan or spending an extra period there at some point in my life. Uh, Sadly, that just wasn't the time. But you think that might be something down the road, maybe? If the if the world moves in a certain way, I can only hope, you know, I I, I definitely think uh, this is my, my example, the example that I give in uh, of what life is kind of like in Japan. So uh, two things, when you go to the convenience store with your suitcase, you just leave your case outside and then you walk in and there's no worry of someone going to steal my stuff, which there would be like most pretty much anywhere else in the world. Uh, some of the wrestlers who smoke cigarettes, because there are wrestlers who smoke cigarettes, unfortunately, but they will go onto the sidewalk to have a, a little little ciggy break and they will just leave their pack of cigarettes and lighter down on the sidewalk. And then they'll just go back in and wrestle, come back after the match, and the pack of cigarettes is still there. I, I have a, a very, very close friend of mine who was a very naughty boy at some time. And he recalled to me a story of when he was just downtown in Montreal, pretty drunk. And he uh, busted a car window for a pack of cigarettes that was just left on your, uh, on, on someone's, someone's car seat, which is what happens all the time, downtown Montreal. Uh, but, but I assume like you wouldn't leave a pack of cigarettes anywhere else in the world, but in Japan, you just can. And that, that mean, that is to me just the, uh, tip of the iceberg on what life is like there. It's peaceful. It's safe. It's great. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. 
Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When it comes to the wrestling as well, it's something that you bed in so well. But it was it was something that was born out of, out of necessity, as we've said. Uh, five years you spent unable to enter America. And when, you, when, when that realization happened that, okay, wrestling in the States isn't going to be happening for the next half a decade... And once you kind of told the important people in your life, what was the first business call that you made? The, uh, well, so after like talking to the promoters, the first person that got in, in contact with me was uh, Andy Quilden from RevPro, who you all know. Uh, if you're listeners, you know Andy Quilden from the uh, Forbidden Door press conference where he was shouted out promptly by, by Will Ospreay. <laughs> a very funny, funny little bit. But no, he also, was like... There, also, he hates to talk about it, but he was the referee for the Biggin in Wigan. For the what? I'm sorry? It's a, it's a, it's an infamously terrible wrestling match. Yes. Uh, and he was the referee for it. It was... Uh, uh, do do seek it out. It did the rounds in 2005. You'll hate the fact that I'm talking about it. Uh, it's a match called the Biggin in Wigan. I'll send you oh, so, sorry, who was in the beginning, Wigan? Uh, it was Chris Sprouls versus Cage Tyler. It oh, was wow. it was a UK it was a UK match in two thousand and five, uh, and and it went all over the message boards and stuff, and and it went over and because as a joke, I did some commentary over the top of it, and then it ended up doing the rounds, and uh, it's it's a turn up on YouTube since then, and lots of people have talked about it, but then I only discovered later on that Andy Quilden was the referee for it. <laughs> Great. Which he, which he was very, which he felt very sheepish about, but it's a piece of wrestling Aww. history. But he's changed the game by getting shouted down at Forbidden Door. Right, <laughs> it's just good for him. But yeah, I had worked for Ref Pro before. In fact, in the previous year before I got uh, uh, banned from the US, I had gone and done Ref Pro like once or twice. And as soon as that happened, he was like, he sent me a message immediately and was like, "Do you want to come and spend two weeks over?" And I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." And then that was kind of like, okay, well, there's still a, a lot of things that I can do. Of course, uh, regardless of not, you know, of where I could go, Japan was always a place I wanted to to go and wrestle. Uh, since you know, since I first stumbled upon those uh, those Japanese matches very very early on, and I, I I'm glad I did because if you want to nerd out on wrestling talk, like uh, growing to understand that specific match, the uh, Do Fixer Blood Generation Six Man Tag like is something that changed me as a wrestler and i can i can like kind of parallel my my evolution as a wrestler to my understanding of that match and for example there's a lot like i wrestled kenny omega at pwg in i want to say like 2015 uh, or early 16 i can't recall but shortly before i went to japan and going to japan going to ddt like made me understand a lot about his thought process and made me like think back on that match and understand a lot more which then I think the the Japanese style and the Japanese system is sort of what produces such good wrestling, and that match is a fantastic example of that. And you know, you fast forward from you know when you from when you first saw that match to to even just to this year being part of the best of the Super Junior uh, and and being in the mix there. Uh, 
it must feel amazing because we've now moved, you know, moving on from at that point where a big part of the wrestling world was was blocked out to you. But in doing so, it allowed you to really establish and galvanize yourself to the rest of the world. And it must have felt incredible to be a part of something as as iconic as the Super Junior Tournament for the first time. I mean, it absolutely was. It is, uh, man, they make it easy for you. Like it is, there's a reason that it is regarded how it is. And it's the audience, it's the setup, it's the quality of of wrestling that everyone that is involved in the tournament puts on. Like there was not, there was not a bad match on, on any of the nights of that tournament. Man, it was fantastic to be part of it. When let's when we talk about wrestling in the states as well, um, because you know you're now all over the place as you absolutely should be. This start this year, you know, eight days into the new year, and you're the winner of the PWG Battle of Los Angeles. That must have been an amazing feeling, knowing how much of a journey it has been to get even to one American show, let alone to win one of the greatest flipping tournaments across the wrestling circuit. Uh, when did the conversation start about you winning Battle of Los Angeles? I didn't know until the day of. Wow. Yeah. They just uh, bring it on you. So there was that that situation where my uh, visa, uh, I get, my visa gets renewed periodically and it was uh, expired. I didn't have a visa between uh, January 1st and January 7th of that year. And uh, Bola happened January 7 and 8, oh. right? So that's why I wasn't able to do my first round match on the uh, first day and had to do it instead on the second day. So I, I had to wrestle four matches ultimately to to win that tournament, which that is a kind of conversation that was had, uh, but was like, would you be okay to wrestle four matches on the second day then? And I was like, I don't see why not. That doesn't sound incredibly difficult, <laughs> which <laughs> spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Bola this year, it was <laughs> truly one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. And they, and they weren't just the, the you know, the, these weren't sort of no, no name people. And this is the battle of Los Angeles. You're in there with Brian Keith and Jordan Grace. You got that incredible final against Takeshita. Like these aren't light matches. There isn't one like, oh, I could take a breather here. No, you you balls to the wall for all of them, Mike. There absolutely is not. Uh, in terms of uh, top three hardest things, like physically hardest things I've ever done. Uh, like I can point to Taekwondo tournaments where I had to do like, you know, uh, five or six matches in a day, but th th that's still a different, but still like incredibly grueling. But uh, Bola 2016, where I wrestled Roderick Strong on my uh, night one match, and we went like 20 minutes. Uh, not sorry, not Roderick Strong, Drew McIntyre in my in my first round match, who is absolutely one of the strongest and biggest individuals I've ever shared the ring with and just him completely battering me around. And then the next day having to wrestle Tommy and Will Ospreay and then a triple threat match with Hero and uh, Zack Sabre Jr. That was for the longest time, the, the most difficult thing I'd ever done in my life just because, you know, also that was a tiny building that was like 40 degrees, ridiculously hot, just terrible. Uh, but doing those four matches was really, I remember a specific moment 
I'm I'm a very calm individual, right? I don't if there's one thing I don't do, it's a little like hype up routine before matches. Like you see wrestlers who will put on ear earphones and then just like listen to whatever their hype up song is and pace around before their matches. I don't do that. I don't I don't do any of that or anything like that. But I hurt my shoulder wrestling Jordan Grace in that first match. And then in that second match with June Shun Skywalker and then had quite a long break before the next one with Brian Keith. And in that break, I got to just fully cool down and realize just how hurt I was. And then I remember just smacking myself in the face, waiting to go out for that that third match of the day, being like, okay, I gotta, I gotta warm up, I gotta get some adrenaline going, or I just I'm gonna crash out there and it's not gonna be well. Was that the first time you've 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 come close to having, as you say, a hype up routine? Like, did you really have to dig and get one then? I really had to dig and get one. Do the whole, you know, pace and talk to myself and uh, that whole that whole bit. Is that something that's become part of your routine now? No, no, <laughs> just that one night where it's like just that one night. Desperately need the energy now, please, from somewhere. Yep. <laughs> it's a hell of a turn up. Um, moving away, thankfully, just the one match for Slammiversary on Saturday, just the one match. Uh, and one it's match. Ultimate X of all matches. Now you're undefeated at Ultimate X. You know, you had the one last time, so technically you're undefeated. We'll take that. How does the mindset change from uh, a, a, a standard multi-man scramble cluster fudge type affair to when you've got the, the big scrambly X at the front, at the top of the top of the ring, top of the arena? How does your mindset change for a match like that? Uh, this always makes me laugh when people say it about movies. But which movie? Which movie was I listening to? Uh, I don't. I don't remember. But they will go like the movie is set in Las Vegas, and Las Vegas is really a character in the movie. You've heard that, right? You know what I'm talking about. Sin City. I I don't know. It doesn't matter the movie, but people okay. will will like refer to the city as a character. And it's the most blowhardy thing. But the X is really the the ultimate X. That whole structure really becomes the main focus uh, of the match. And as much as you know wrestling with everyone involved you're also wrestling with that thing which uh this is the kind of things that you don't even see on tv you really have to feel it but in in the one last year right so you can't simply just walk onto the top rope and grab onto the to the x you have to stand on the top rope and or at least i do you have to stand on the rope and jump up and grab the x it's probably like a foot out of reach from the top rope, which is just like, I don't even think that comes across on television. It's just to make it harder for the wrestlers involved, which is, it's a, uh, you, you, your hands get tired. The, the ropes up top become slippery. It's really, really a difficult thing to deal with. I imagine, I can't imagine the rope burn that you get from the, from doing that constantly like the injuries that you wouldn't normally accrue in a match that you would get from a from an ultimate x match so last year uh it being my first time up there as soon as i was allowed into the venue i went up there and started like climbing it out and feeling it out and see what i could do so by the end of the night my hands were just torn up <laughs> like absolutely raw on the on the inside where i grabbed and also so i spent a lot of time hanging out like with my legs crossed and hooked up on the X, so the back of my knees 
was all burned up as well. It was pretty bad. Oh, jeez, I can imagine. I can imagine. Uh, you're doing it again this Saturday. I'm sure you'll have plenty of time to get in there and and feel out the process there. Now, Slammiversary is a celebration of of Impact slash TNA wrestling history, uh, and they have a rich history of famous and some infamous match types as well. We've talked about the Ultimate X, uh, but is there a classic TNA wrestling stipulation match? Be it the Monsters Ball, be it the King of the Mountain, be it Elevation X or an X Skate match that you, Speedball Mike Bailey, would love to get involved in. Uh, so, I'm I'm kind of annoyed that you named it. Uh, but Elevation X nah. really is my favorite. Uh, AJ Styles versus Rhino in that Elevation X really is one of my favorite things of all time. One, because it is completely ridiculous. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. Uh, I watched it last year when I was making a, I was doing a, a Twitch stream to get ready for Ultimate X, and I watched all the Ultimate X matches I could find. And we also watched the Elevation X, and I was like, uh, I had seen it, but it was my first time rewatching it. And I was like, this is completely ridiculous. And I then spoke to Rhino about it. And he told me, like, above and beyond what you see on TV, the structure was shaky and apparently really felt unstable. And it looks terrifying. <laughs> Somehow it's worse. But yeah, uh, I would love to to be part of it because I think it's an incredibly like over the top interesting concept it's very mike bailey to go i suppose the guys involved it felt very unstable very shaky they weren't happy up there i love it sign me up yeah <laughs> incredibly dangerous i'm in you, you can make it happen i was asked about this and i've got to i've got to touch on this uh, because a, a friend of mine has reached out and keen to know the answer to this for you mike now you're doing your solo thing right now in in impact wrestling but what are the odds of seeing whether it's impact whether it is somewhere else the the reuniting of the moonlight express so we had a couple moonlight express matches at mania weekend that happened uh Mao is going to be over in America in just a few weeks. He's got a couple shows. We're on the GCW New York City show together on July 14. I don't know what other shows we'll be doing, but I I absolutely would love to team with Mao. I'd love to team with Mao anywhere, honestly. I would also love to wrestle Mao. He and I have had uh quite a few singles matches that were all all great fun and i think we're due to do that again but man yeah i just want to be in the ring with mo any excuse to get in there with him again right that'd be nice to see i'd like to see it uh we've got to get to your third and final match mike so we've we've gone through the we've gone through the decades we've got tiger mask and uh dynamite kid uh we've got the dragon gate showcase from ring of honor what would you like your third and final one to be mike i would like my third and final one to be the first Okada versus Omega match from Wrestle Kingdom 2017. Ooh, you've picked the first over the other ones. Why? Is that? I've picked the first over the other one because I was there live for the first specifically. How does that change the atmosphere when you're there in person? It just it must just change the way that you view that match. It really was unbelievable. Like you in terms of like audience interaction and the fact that they set in expectations in those other ones, right? We know what's going to happen. We're just hoping they're going to be able to do it better, which they certainly did. But the the reaction from the audience 
not knowing what to expect, certainly expecting a good match, but not expecting for it to go like nearly as long as it did and and just get like progressively more and more involved was really like I think a once in a lifetime thing. You've been across the ring from both uh, Omega and Okada. Uh, you uh, you competed DDT and as part of the Best of Super Juniors weekend uh, with and against Okada. And of course, you competed against Omega as well. Uh, I, I I won't tell either of them. Do you have a favorite to compete against? Out of those well, three? I really feel like I would need more time with Okada. Yeah. I don't know that he and I even touched each other in that match. I ended up mostly being paired up with uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, who is one of the greatest professional wrestlers in the world. But uh, I think that I would need a match with Okada in order to really be able to feel it out and give you a proper comparison. So there's a headline. Mike Bailey wants match with Okada. Which is not shocking. Not a shocking headline <laughs> at all. It isn't shocking, but it's always nice just to just to stir the juices a little bit, I think. I think. Um with the with that Omega Okada feud, um, what is it about as those matches progress that that you draw upon as a performer about putting together an, an epic series like that? So there is so much uh, you hear a lot about stories being told within professional wrestling, right? And uh, I, I feel like, especially with independent wrestling, uh, and this is a, this is a discussion that came up uh, recently, given the Bloodline stuff happening, and it being a great story that was played out excellently on WWE television, and 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 a lot of people's reaction to that was like, why can't we do something like this on indie promotions? And the answer is simply because you can't. Hmm. Because you don't have a whole film crew with you because your shows run monthly for the most part. So people are just not going to be able to like watch your show one month and remember it to the level that they do when they watch Raw every single week. And also, even if you watch the main event of... Uh... When was Roman Reigns versus Kevin Owens? When was that? That which, was which... Royal Rumble. The Royal, Royal Rumble. Rumble. You watch the main event to Royal Rumble, right? Uh, of one of the biggest feuds, the biggest ongoing feud in professional wrestling right now, and they still had a 10-minute, essentially a short film play out before the match to make sure that everyone is aware of the story so that it makes sense, because otherwise it wouldn't, right? But the Okada versus Omega match, you can watch that with no knowledge of who they are, and still understand all of it because they are and like twenty twenty five mini stories that are part of the big story that happened in the match and are all explained to you in a way that makes sense in a way that you don't need any more information than these are two great pro wrestlers. Now just watch them slowly and incrementally explain to you through their wrestling who they are and what they do. And I think people, uh, I, this is mostly an America thing, but I guess it's also an England thing where like people consider WWE to be just the best version of professional wrestling, which it's not. It's a very specific thing that it is excellent at, right? Uh, there is no better, like there's no better version of WWE than 
WWE, but what they do is different than the rest of pro wrestling. And I think uh, New Japan is a different system with a different audience. People watch it differently. And I think that they, Okada and Omega, in all those matches, really, really show that and illustrate that. The match that is good in a vacuum, no knowledge, no storylines, just by themselves. There is nothing that you can watch and be confused about. And and every moment leaves you like excited for the next one. They just keep on building the tension every time. And that's just the masters at it. Absolute masters at it. Um, in terms of building tension, this Saturday, tensions rise. It's Slammiversary, Ultimate X, Speedball, Mike Bailey getting back under the X. You can watch it on Fight and you can watch it on Sky on Zone 1. Uh, Mike, it's been lovely to chat wrestling with you. Uh, a, a genuine passion and thesaurus for wrestling. It's nice to pick your brains uh, for just under an hour. If people want to find out more about what you're doing, where you're at, where you're going, what's happening, how can people reach out to you, Mike? I'm Speedball Mike Bailey, Speedball Bailey, sorry, on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I've got a YouTube channel where I post vlogs and other other nonsense. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Speedball Bailey. In fact, as soon as we finish recording this, I'm going to go and uh, do a stream. We're going to watch some wrestling and chat for a few hours. What are we streaming and, uh, today? What are we streaming today? Oh, we don't know yet. Oh. I haven't I haven't opened the Discord and look at the matches that people have recommended. Uh, it is 4th of July in America, if you don't mind me saying, when this was recorded. Yeah, sure. Uh, so probably watch some uh, American American matches. Matches that really embody America as a concept and a country. I hear that Mr. America was a sprightly youngster from 2003. He, he had oh. some good matches. He looks a bit like Hulk Hogan, but I wouldn't get that twisted at all. Mm, very strange. <laughs> uh, Mike, best of luck with Slammiversary. It's genuinely been a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, and and all the very best. Uh, stay safe for the Ultimate X and get some, get some uh, baby powder on your hands once you've climbed it. It'll help calm some of the swelling down. Do you mean chalk? I could mean chalk as well. <laughs> <laughs>